Have you ever had one of those birthdays? The one you dread. Because you know after this birthday, your best days are long behind you. There is no turning back. Once you're this old, it seems nothing will ever be the same again. Now, I don't mean to brag, but this summer I will be 35. And I don't think 35 will be one of those birthdays. I hope not. And in fact, I'm kind of excited about being 35. I know it's nothing to brag about. Some of you have children my age, <laughs> grandchildren my age, <laughs> great-grandchildren my age. But I'm excited. I, I recently read an article entitled, Big Breakthroughs Come in Your Late 30s. Now get this, this is all science now, so it's true. The authors of a recent study examined the high points of careers of both great inventors and Nobel Prize winning scientists. And they found that the late 30s was the sweet spot for strokes of genius. They did their groundbreaking research in their late 30s. Now, Marty's already 35 for some time now. Well, since December. <laughs> so get ready. Thir 35 is going to be a good year, I feel, for your pastors. Now, today we're celebrating a birthday, not mine. This Sunday is Pentecost. As Marty explained to the children, and some of you may have learned for the first time, it is the birthday of the church. And this year is the church's 1,982nd birthday give or take a few years. Now, that's, that's old. Now, mind you, I'm not talking about this church, Norwalk Christian Church. We're only 146 years old. I'm talking about the church, all churches. On this day, Pentecost Sunday, the church was born. That's the story we just read from Acts. Pentecost is actually an old Jewish holiday in which the people of God celebrated the giving of the law to Moses. Now, penta is a Latin word, which means five, and there were five books of the law, the first five books of the Bible. That's where the name Pentecost came from. But as Marty explained for us, penta means 50, 50 days since Jesus rose from the dead on Easter. It was 50 days later that the disciples gathered in that upper room as Jesus instructed them to do, confused but waiting for something to happen. Peter, after the, the Spirit descended on them as tongues of fire, Peter stood up and preached that first sermon. That day, 3,000 people were baptized and dedicated their lives to the literally first Christian church. And here we are. 1,982 years later. Certainly after all those years, the church's best days are long behind us. Have we long ago hit our prime? Are we too old to be effective? Are we so old that we should just give up and die? 1,982 years old, that is some birthday. Now the news from this past week would suggest that our best days are certainly behind us. Maybe the church hit its prime in its mid-30s, but this year isn't looking so good. 
On May 12th, the Pew Research Council, the top demographical research institute in the United States for religious and public life, they released what they call the Religious Landscape Study. Over, uh, over 2014, they had done a study which replicated the same study done in 2007. And between the two, they paint a good picture of religious life in the United States. Well, good is a bit of an overstatement. It's rather depressing, really. The report reads that the Christian share of the U.S. population is declining. While the number of U.S. adults who do not identify with any organized religion is growing. These changes are taking place across the religious landscape, affecting all regions of the country and many demographic groups. While the drop in Christian affiliation is particularly pronounced among young adults, it's occurring among Americans of all ages, among whites, blacks, and Latinos, college graduates, those with only a high school education, among women as well as men, among all of us. The religious group that has declined the most, well, that's Catholics and mainline Protestants. That's what you are. You didn't even know it, did you? You are a mainline Protestant, and we're declining the fastest. About a third of older millennials, that's adults currently in their late 20s and early 30s, now say they have no religion at all. That's up 9% in seven years. 9% since 2007. And for the generation before them, the one that Marty and I just barely fit into, nearly a quarter of Generation Xers now say they have no particular religion or describe themselves as atheist or agnostic. That's up four points in seven years. Baby boomers, many of you, also have become slightly but noticeably more likely to identify as religious nuns in recent years. Now that's some depressing news. Happy birthday, church. So why this rise of the nuns? Now, that's, I'm not talking nuns with a U, though those are also in decline. I'm talking nuns, those who, when asked their religious affiliation, check the box, none. It's not that more people are being born in non-religious homes. It's that more people who are raised in religious homes, raised in churches just like ours, are choosing as they get older to disaffiliate themselves with their faith tradition and with all faith traditions, choosing nothing instead. The Pew Center doesn't deal with the wise, but there are lots of other research institutes that fill in the gaps, and their studies suggest that people, particularly millennials, who check out of Christianity do so because churches are too worried about political platforms. They talk about money too much. Sorry, Gary. <laughs> They're too judgmental. They're too homophobic, too racist, too irrelevant to the concerns of current life. A week ago, Rachel Held Evans wrote an article for the Washington Post that came out just before this Pew Research did. A few of you shared it on Facebook or emailed it to me. Among young people, she says, among millennials who don't go to church, 87%, 87% say Christians are too judgmental. 85% say they're too hypocritical. Another study found that only 8%, that's 8%, say they don't attend church because church is out of date. 
which undercuts the notion that all churches need to do to get millennials to worship is just make things cooler. You know, you know, you know louder instruments and, and, and cooler sound effects. Now, I don't know if that's good news or bad news for us. No offense, but we at Norwalk Christian Church are certainly not the coolest Christians in town. Some of you are, but most of us. <laughs> but we aren't judgmental or hypocritical either. I mean, wait, we say, we print, all are welcome, and I believe that we mean it. So, if the reports are right, our message is the message people seem hungry for. So why are we not busting at the seams? Why is our brand of Christianity, mainline Christian denominations, many of whom are indeed non-judgmental, welcoming, why are they among the fastest declining religious groups in our country? Maybe it's good therapy for us on this 1,982nd birthday to go back to the beginning, as we have done, the day of Pentecost, when it all began. Fire and wind, the Spirit filling the disciples, filling Peter with boldness. Indeed, he says, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only 9 a.m. in the morning. No, no, this is what was spoken of the prophet from long ago. On that day alone, the church added 3,000 people, and that was only the beginning. Keep reading the story of Acts, and you see these spirit-filled disciples always on the move. They're on the move because the Holy Spirit is on the move. We call the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles, but really it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit and the disciples in the church trying to catch up. From there, from the first day of the church, the gospel begins to spread throughout all of Judea. And just when they are getting comfortable and they're building up their power in Jerusalem, the Spirit begins to move. And Samaritans start experiencing the Spirit of God. Samaritans, people the Jews thought were nasty, half-blooded people. They worship in the wrong way. They worship at a false temple. And yet God's Spirit shows up to Samaritans, just like it did in Jerusalem. And the church has to catch up. Then one afternoon, the Spirit sends a church leader named Philip to a eunuch who is from Africa. Eunuchs were sexual minorities, slaves who were emasculated and were barred by Jewish law from ever entering the temple. Yet this eunuch visited Jerusalem anyway. And on the way home, he's reading Jewish scripture. Philip is sent by the Spirit to the side of his chariot, is invited in, and he explains to this eunuch who's hungry for knowledge about God, explains to him the scriptures, introduces him to Christ. And this man who had been told that God could never love someone like him says, look, here is water. What keeps me from being baptized? And Philip says, well, I don't know. The Spirit's moving. And so they crawl down into the water, and the eunuch is baptized. The Spirit keeps moving from there, sends Peter to a man named Cornelius. Cornelius, who is a centurion, a captain of a Roman troop. He's a Gentile. His entire family is Gentiles, yet they receive the Spirit. Peter is sleeping one night, and he has this dream, a dream in which there is a sheep filled with unclean animals that he as a Jew should never eat. And yet it comes down and a voice says, take and eat, Peter. Do not call unclean what I have made clean. Three times he has this dream. 
And when he wakes up, he realizes the dream is not about food at all. And so he goes and greets his Gentile friends, people who had not been allowed to be part of God's kingdom, yet greets them as sisters and brothers. The spirit is in them just like it was on the day of Pentecost in them. And they are all baptized that day. Pretty soon after that, we meet a man named Saul, a Jew who hunts Christians down to persecute them. On the way to Damascus to do such things, he is blinded by the light of God, by the spirit of God. When his eyes are finally opened, he sees that he can no longer persecute Christians. And instead, the spirit that came upon the disciples on Pentecost comes upon him and sends him out as the first missionary of the church. His name becomes Paul, and he goes out to Gentile city after Gentile city, spreading the all-inclusive message of God's love, beginning new church after new church. Your New Testament, all those weird Galatians, Corinthians, Philippians, those are churches that Paul began. When the Acts story finally ends, Paul has arrived in the city of Rome, the capital of the Gentile world, the empire that had oppressed Jews and had crucified their Lord. And yet while Paul is in prison, he preaches the gospel to all whom whom he can, even to the emperor himself. Nothing will stop Paul from sharing this spirit-filled message. Even in shackles, he boldly shares the love of God. Now, that's the story of Acts in five minutes, give or take a few chapters. The early years of the church are beginning our story. And it may be the church's best years, yes, our stroke of genius, as it were. But the same spirit that filled them then is the spirit we sing about and celebrate today, the spirit which we say when we are baptized that we receive. We, too, are spirit-filled disciples. So the question this morning, the question of Pentecost is, where is the spirit leading us? Now, I have a theory. I'm not a scientist. I got a few letters, I guess, behind my name. But my theory is maybe it's more of a hunch, really. No statistics or studies can prove it. But my hunch is why why young people leave our church and the faith of their youth, why churches like ours are not busting at the seams, is because we are not bold. We have lost our nerve and our courage. God gave it to the church on that first day. And yet we've forgotten. The Christian message has been co-opted by those who will speak loudly about whom God hates and who God judges. They barter in fear and guilt, and we quietly are non-judgmental. But you would never know it. We may be welcoming, but you got to show up to find out. We may be weird in all the right ways, but you may never get a chance to experience it. We have a story to tell church. The story that began in Acts 2 continues today. The spirit is still moving and we're still trying to keep up. I believe our city, our community is ready for churches like ours, for a Christianity, for a gospel like the one that we preach. They're hungry for a progressive, open-minded, inclusive community of Christ, but they need to know we're here. They need to hear our voice among others, louder proclaiming God's love. We may be old, church, but I believe our best days are still ahead of us. All around the world, you can see the Spirit is moving, whether we move with her or not. 
Old lines of division are fading away. Minds and hearts are being opened to God's love. Forget the studies and statistics. All you have to do is watch for the Spirit. So what about us? Norwalk Christian Church. We may be the church by the hardware store. Yes, that's us. But the Spirit is moving us, moving us beyond these walls, way past the hardware store, into every corner of this community and beyond, letting people know that God loves them. They are beloved by God just as they are, and Christ welcomes them to the table. Now, this summer, we're doing a sermon series, as I mentioned, entitled Disciples Together, the Weird and Wonderful Practices of Church. And we're going to remind ourselves and celebrate all these things that we do together that make us church. And hopefully in the midst of it all, find our boldness again. Be proud of who we are. We are weird, and that's okay. People are looking for weird. Weird is what this world needs. A weird community like this, a fellowship of Christians who love each other, who share life together, who sing and pray and give and love. May we, disciples of Christ, have the boldness as those disciples of Christ did long ago and follow the Spirit wherever she may lead. Amen? Amen. Amen. And now let us prepare to come again to that table of the Lord. As we sing 237, there's a misprint in the bulletin. 237 will be our hymn of invitation. On Pentecost they gathered. Now, I don't think we've sung this song, not even when Tim Diebel was your interim. So Tim's going to play through the melody once, and then we will sing. <laughs> 